Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Paul from the innovation community here. Today, I'm with Tariq Barty, who's the head of data and analytics at the Nursing and Midwifery Council. So Tariq is responsible for all things data at the professional regulator for nurses, midwives and nursing associates in the UK. So great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul, for having me here. Thank you. Yeah, great, great to, uh, to, to finally have the chance to speak. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself in a few words to begin with. Yeah, sure. So, um, so for my sins, I'm a dataholic. I've been working with data for the last like nearly 20 years now. And yeah, um, I love all things about data. It wasn't the first career path that I wanted to go on, to be quite fair. When I, when I graduated from university, I did want to become a Flash developer. Thankfully, I didn't. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so I've um, been working in data for the last 20 years. I've worked with various companies from... Um, uh, from the Royal British Legion, um, Save the Children, as well as Southern Water. Um, yes, um, one of my one of my quite one of my hobbies, as you would say, is like watching anime. But yes, um, and all in all, um, I have a wealth experience from working in data in all aspects, from from actually you know working as a data analyst all the way up to head of, and I'm aspiring to become a chief data officer. Hopefully, one day, maybe we'll see. <laughs> One day soon, hopefully. Yeah, so hopefully. you mentioned you started out as an analyst like, like most. Where did your career in data really start? So my, my career, my, well, actually, to, to be quite fair, I, always, I started off as a, as a developer. Yeah, so I was, I was developing with all stuff with, uh, with, as a BI developer, actually, doing all things of reporting, dashboards, and so on and so forth. So I started off in Sainsbury's, um, then worked in Woolworths, and unfortunately, and, and as well as IMS Health as, as on a BI developer capacity. But as I was working in that, in that capacity, I realized that, you know, data was a very core function of everything that we did. And I was very, you know, and I was very inspired with a lot of people and a lot of talking about data and everything else. But what really got me, you know, really um, turned on about data, or as I would say, um, you know, really project my career quite quickly into the data realm was basically when I went, uh, when I worked in the Royal British Legions and um, my manager at the time, um, my manager at the time basically um, gave me the opportunity to become a data architect. And the reason that he gave me that was because everything that I was talking about without even realizing it was about data. And basically it was from that point onwards where I, re where, where I've, you know, I could, would say that I found my true calling as such. And, you know, and, you know, when I look back at my career, everything has been about data in some way or another, whether it's about, you know, fixing because of poor data quality issues to, you know, embedding data as a culture or looking, you know, or looking at it from a data governance point of view that, you know, we need to build like data dictionaries and um, business glossaries, et cetera, et cetera. So it all, it all would start, it, you know, it, I, although I started out as a BI developer as such, um, it all progressed within the data as when a person recognized that with me and actually show my true calling. That's how it all started. That, that makes a lot of sense, and and I think that the the strategic data side of things, could, you can either get a strategic leader, 
and bring them into the data function or you can do it your way where you can build someone who's who's, who's been seasoned in all those experiences uh and i guess there's probably going to be a debate as to, as to which one which one's better but it certainly sounds like you've seen you've, you're pretty seasoned at that what are you up to in your current role so um, currently in my current role, so I started with the Nursing Midwifery Council um, last year, actually. And they, and they brought me in before for a couple of things. One, they really want to make data as a core, a core value or core drive for their business. So that's that's that. So that's a that's a great thing to have from 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 your chief exec all the way coming you know coming down saying that data is a core value. So that's that's a brilliant thing. The second thing the but the second thing is is that we're going through a digital transformation program at this present moment in time, where you know we have a register at the moment. Um, so the Nursing Midwifery Council has a register of over 700,000 nurses and midwives. Yeah, so we hold every single nursing and, midw- and midwife um, that is able to work within the UK, as well as nursing, uh, nursing, associate, so nursing associates within, the, um, within England. And what we're doing at the moment is actually um, transforming, transforming our legacy CRM system into dynamics. Yeah. So there is a big journey that needs to happen in terms of in terms of not only with the data aspect, but in terms of in terms of a kind of like how can I put it as a um, a change cultural change process that goes behind with it. Because historically, you know, we have in terms of data, we have a vast mark. We have a you know a lot of it. You know, the Dursi and Mifri Council or all its forms all started back in World War One, where where this all started. So, in terms of like data and everything else, we have a lot of it. But the thing is, is that we just don't know how to leverage it at the moment. Yeah, we do not. We do not have to make a lot of responses and everything else to basic to like basic cases and everything. So, for instance, you know, at the moment we're assisting with the um with Don Ockenden in terms of various reviews that are happening um with with various trusts that we're looking at. But, you know, what we're trying to do is trying to use that data to try and get a front footing, trying to be, you know, trying to, trying to be more innovative and trying to, you know, um, influence policies as well as best practices within the, within the healthcare sector to bring, it, to bring the best out of our nurses. So that's what we're trying to do at this present moment in time. And that's what we're, and that's what we're working on. And when I came in, um, we, you know, I came in at the right time, actually, because we just announced our 2020 to 2025 strategy. So I was very heavily involved influencing that strategy, making sure that we had um, data as a focus. And now it's about delivering that strategy with data as a focus, bringing that digital transformation in in the sideline and, you know, really, truly embedding data as a culture and bringing, and bringing as much value as we can. That's what we're doing, and that sounds like a huge overhaul. I think having documents from World War One to, to, to <laughs> <laughs> that's just it creates a headache in itself. And I, I can honestly say many organisations probably don't have that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> how is how are you currently leveraging technology to really help with that issue? So the way we're um, leveraging technology is that I wouldn't say that the so the te- I w- I would actually change this around a little bit. Just a little bit. So technology is there to to help a lot of things, but what we're what we're trying to tr- drive here more is the processes behind it. Yeah. So the technology is to allow the processes of automation to happen a lot more. 
yeah so that's how we're leveraging technology in terms of in terms of what we're looking at though is looking at the at the processes of what we're going through and making sure that processes is a is fit for purpose and b, and b is bringing the right information or data towards the the business questions that needs to be answered because we could be we could be asking business questions whereby a process or a function is not currently is not currently in the right way to answer those business questions sort of thing. If we you know if we don't have the data we can't we can't answer the question and then it makes it a lot more harder. So you know so what we're doing at this present moment in time is that while you know how we're using technology in order to answer those business questions is getting the processes right. Yeah, it's about having the right governance, having the right people, and having the right mindset in order to make sure that we can answer those business questions, can put, can 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 write up and can put in the right, as I call, value performance indicators, not key performance indicators, but value performance indicators, that would then really drive the uh, drive our scope of work within the NMC to to its height. So, for instance, if we want to, um. For instance, we are, uh, as an example, we have um, uh, we have our overseas process, our customer our customer end to end journey for our overseas process, whereby we you know the recruitment for overseas can take up to six months, for instance, because they have to go through various checks, they have to go through various trainings, they have to you know be signed off, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But however, through our digital transformation program, we have now able to reduce that time. And if a person has all the documents and everything else, they could actually be turned around within, within weeks instead of months. And that's an example of what we are doing in terms of shortening down the time by using data to drive these processes, answering those business questions, and then therefore, and then therefore you know, saving time, saving money, and all the other benefits that, that that um that business would like and from a personal perspective what are some of the major successes that you've achieved over your career so one of the major successes that i would i believe that i've achieved over my career is um actually getting people off the starting block and embracing data as a whole as an organization um you know i demonstrated that in the royal british legions i demonstrated that in um in um in save the children uk while i was there but um more into that um while i was working with um peter jackson who was the chief data officer in uh, in southern water what we were able to drive up is to have a data ops process within um within southern water that could leverage data a lot more and i feel that because of that data ops process they'll be able to leverage data a lot more better than they did before sort of thing so that's what those are some of the key successes that i believe within my career that that has happened you know one of the best things that i have said to date that i have done or have participated in is basically um the emergency of delivering the covid19 emergency register uh for nurses and midwives that was a absolute um it was a lot of hard work a lot of sleepless nights but you know um what we were able to do you know when COVID-19 kicked off and all all back in you know all back in March when we had lockdown and everything else was to be able to bring you know 16 to 17,000 extra nurses to the front line you know available to the front line 
um, in in order to be to help out with COVID nineteen, because as you can appreciate, you know, when this COVID nineteen situation happened or the or the the predicament that we're in at this present moment in time, um, there's a lot of people that wanted to help. You know, there was a lot of retired nurses or people who who left the register for for a number of reasons. Maybe they went into um, to healthcare and this that the other, you know, various other things. But one that really really wanted to come back and help. Um, help out in the front line and for us to turn around a you know to put up a register within weeks uh, for people to register and then getting them onto the front line on a regulated manner understanding what you know the potential benefits of all of that I think that is done you know you know that is an absolute achievement obviously I you know I played a big part of it but as a team for the NMC to do that you know I think that is the highlight of my career <laughs> Yeah, and in these unprecedented times, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people how, who've, who've used their knowledge of data and, and have used all their organizational data to actually make an impact. But that's, that's a, a definitely a unique way. So congratulations on that. You mentioned the team just then. Uh, how would you describe your leadership style? So in terms of my leadership style, it's very much of, you see, when, as for me as a leader, you know, I, I get people to use me to, to use me and abuse me. Yeah, it's not about, it's not my, I am not very much of a dictatorial say you have to do that. There is that places whereby I have to take decisions and say, look, this is the way to go forward just to press on. But I, what really and truly, okay, I empower my people to make the decisions. Yeah, I really listen to them because they are in the front line. And then I ask them what are the best things that I can do to help them, whether that's to, whether that's to facilitate conversations, that's to change policies, that's to, you know, have better ways of working, et cetera, et cetera. So my, my leadership style is to, in, is to entrust my team to tell me what's best to do and then using my wisdom to, to, to advise them of how, how things can be done and as well as, well as part, partaking them until telling them that, you know, due to my experience, you know, you shouldn't go down this way, you should go to this way. These are the best practices of data. This is the best practices of doing this and so on and so forth. So it's more of mentoring, nurturing, and then always having that constant feedback from, from a person. And then, and then the, and one of the most crucial, crucial thing about leadership is giving them a good vision. Yeah, a vision to work towards. So the vision is there. I trust my people. I allow them to do what they need to do. As, well, as long as they're working towards that vision, um, we work, we will be able, I, I believe that we'll be able to work a lot more faster, a lot more, a lot more collaboratively than it would be in terms of a dictatorship saying, you will listen to me, that sort of thing. And where do you currently see the biggest opportunity for improvement within the NMC? So um, the biggest opportunity I can see for the NMC in terms of improvement is not within, but it's how much we can share to without. Uh, you know, the, the Nursing Midwifery Council is kind of like, you know, as I keep saying, it's one part of the jigsaw, yeah, We're towards all of the hair, you know, um, health, um, healthcare regulations that are out there. So, for instance, we've got the um, General Medical Council, we've got the General Dental Council, we've got, um, the quality, we've got the Quality Care Commission, we have NHSX, we have all these other providers there. But what we can do and what, and what we are striving to do is one of, um, one of our things is that we want to leverage the data that we have and share it with others. Yeah. And then by, and then as I say, because we are just one part of the jigsaw, 
if all if everybody around you know around the hacker regulators bring their jigsaw pieces as well, and then we're able to put it together and build this and build this giant picture. I believe that um, the healthcare regulation and the healthcare industry within itself can massively have leaps and leap who who go forward by leaps and bounds just by you know just by that. And I think that's the biggest opportunity that the NMC has at this present moment in time is that is that it's not only to leverage our data but to share it amongst others. Yeah, and I think sharing it in the right way is is, is key as well. Um, what was the biggest mistake you made during your career? <laughs> that's a good one well the mistake so you you know what i'm i am human as everyone else is so um i wouldn't say these were mistakes i would say that these are learning curves (laughs) um so in terms of learnings is that um i found that it's all about style and delivery of what you're trying to achieve yeah so sometimes my style and delivery is not something that people would would take or uptake you know in the beginning so very so basically in the beginning of my career i was very very dry and technical <laughs> and people you know a lot of people didn't appreciate that and quite quickly i recognized that that i had to change my personality and my tone and my communication in order to get my points across and then for people to get on board of why we are doing things because so for instance um, data governance. Data governance is one of the most driest subjects. Sorry to everyone that's listening out there, but it's one of those driest subjects out there that you can listen, that you could do to. Now, a lot of people don't, but well, actually, data governance is one of those really real hidden gems of an organisation that can really pull an organisation leaps and bounds forward if done right. But the thing is, when you talk about um, data governance or you put data governance in front of someone, people just you know lights out go to sleep and say that yeah you know what is and the and the best question that they come up with is saying that what is the bare minimum do i need to do to be compliant yeah but data governance is not about that it's a cultural thing it's about it's about you know taking care of your data is no um as as i as a lot of people say you know if you take care of your data then the data will take care of yourself sort of thing hence why you would need data governance but since you um, talk about data governance people just go sort of thing yeah but in saying that in saying that what i what i do now in terms of a approach for data governance is treat you like fight club you know, you know the rules of Fight Club, yeah. So the first rule of Fight Club is not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is about is you know it's not to talk about Fight Club. So it's the same thing with data governance. So by not putting it under the umbrella of data governance, we could talk we could talk about aspects of the data governance that is related to the business, and then people would then partake in the conversation a lot more better because they believe that it's part of what they're doing. They care about it more. And if you put the two and two later, two to two together, and then relate it and relate it to what they're doing, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then at the end you say you drop the penny, saying that that's data governance. People are then are a lot more receptive and a lot more and a lot, a lot more willing to um, come with you on that journey, other than just being dry and saying, "Okay, we need to do a business dictionary. We need to do a, doc- a data dictionary. We need to do this." Um, it's a it's a document that we just write one time and then we put it in the shelf and we just leave it alone. <laughs> if we if we're able to if we're you know if we're able to make make things come alive and then talk about things that are that could be relatable to the other person that's what i've learned basically 
a very uh, honest and, uh, and uh, maybe scathing account of data governance. <laughs> <laughs> Or data governance advocates, I should say. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on the impacts of COVID nineteen? You mentioned what what the NMC have done. Uh, what are your general thoughts on the on the issue? So, in terms of COVID nineteen, actually has has actually shown um, shown sorry not sure shown um, um, how data is really really important within the industry. Yeah, you know when we come into you know when we come into talking about contact tracing, we're talking about you know GDPR, we're talking about you know personal information being shared, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What you know, you know how much how much people's privacy is impacted, or you know over this because as much as we want to um, share information of who we contacted and everything else, it's about it's about what we're willing to give up on. Because I do believe that, you know, there is an element of, of privacy that we have to give up in order to make sure that we are COVID safe, for instance, until a vaccine is found, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there are great scientists out there that are working really, really hard and everything else to really get a vaccine. But until that vaccine has happened, we have seen like, you know, New Zealand, um, I think Vietnam as well, et cetera, et cetera, where cases are so low or things that are really, really under control. So for instance, 103 days, New Zealand, yeah, not having a case of COVID-19. And then that, that broke just the other day because, you know, a family just um, all of a sudden had, um, had COVID-19. But in saying that, okay, you know, their response and how they use data and, you know, the empathy that the Prime Minister gave in order to make sure that the, everybody is following the rules, etc., etc. okay, um, it's, a, it's an unprecedented thing. But again, it's about, it's about how we can trust other people with this sort of data and then making sure that we're using it for good. You know, it's the data for good analogy that, that people keep saying that people are doing. And that's the challenges that are presenting to us right now during this COVID-19 situation. So it's, it'll be really, really interesting. Now, it's not about technology and no more. It's not about how we share, et cetera, et cetera. It's about our moral responsibility of collecting this data, how we use it, and, and, the, and the best thing for it going forward. And are you working from home? Are you still going in? Um, I've been working. Um, I've been working from home since March, and um, the Nursing Midwifery Council um, is not encouraging us to um, go to the office at this present moment in time. Yes, there are parts of um, the NMC that will need to go back into the office um, from around September time. But really and truly, um, what, from what the advice that we have, we're not even thinking about going back into the office until January. But in saying that, um, we've been having a lot of fun with like, you know, team meetings, go to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, my kids coming from the background, shouting and this, that, the other. Um, with the COVID-19 and working from home, there is a very, very high, I, I, I hope a lot of people will, um, will feel what I'm saying here, but it's a very, very hard to draw that fine line between work and home. Because when you're home and you're like this, you... I saw that I'm working a lot more longer hours than before and the work-life balance is very, very, very hard. But thankfully, I do have a great team and I do have a great manager that tries to, um, to facilitate and help me um, balance the two, but still, that's quite a struggle. So what is your top working from home tip to, to balance that? So my top working from home tip is, is basically... Um, 
you know, so I don't I haven't told this to many people, but what I do, okay, is that I got like a Wi-Fi mesh network and basically um I put a timer in my in my in my Wi-Fi that between six to eight o'clock the Wi-Fi's off. <laughs> so therefore I physically can't go onto the Wi-Fi and my kids can't go onto the tablets. So basically this will allow this will really, really allow us to bond and talk and everything else. I do get my kids screaming at me saying, Well, I can't use the tablet and everything else. And then there's me sometimes saying like, Yeah, I should extend it for another five minutes because I got this email to write, et cetera, et cetera. But I do try to like, you know, try to say to myself, Okay, then treat this as a normal work you know, a, a normal working day. Do you know, do take my lunch break, do see outside, spend time, you know, break up my break up my day so that I don't have back to back meetings and, you know, spend time with the kids and my, with my wife because they are affected as well, you know. And um, as I said, just trying to use technologies out there to try and limit yourself using the technology and be doing something else. That's my top tips, really. That's a, a first for the podcast, turning off the Wi-Fi. I wonder if you said 12 months ago that I turned the Wi-Fi off between six and eight every day, what people would have said to you. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're a visionary. <laughs> <laughs> what does your routine look like? Um, my routine, my routine looks like. What does my routine look like? So, it's basically, in general, it's like, you know, the ten-second commute. It's like I wake up, you know, I, you know, get changed, you know, shower and everything else. Then afterwards, it's turn on, you know, I look at my. It's the moment that I look at my phone. It's basically is when I'm on work. So I deliberately don't leave my phone next to me anymore. Yeah. I leave my phone like, you know, in the, in the conservatory or to the dining table, et cetera, et cetera. So I physically have to go and get it in order to do that. But before I do all of that, I kind of like, you know, have breakfast, shower, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, get, get my phone, then look at my emails. Um, and then from there, it'll be like, um, it'll be like, go, to, it'll be like, Go to meeting or teams meeting one after the other. Um, yeah, generally just looking at my webcam more often than not. And, um, and then afterwards in the evenings, as I said, just trying to spend more time with my family, take strolls in the park, you know, outside, etc., etc., um, and just having that bonding time. But you know what? To be, to be quite honest, lately because of the heat, that hasn't happened. Um, and with the heat and everything else, I tend to be working more during the evening when the sun's gone down than during the day. Normally, like during the day, I will have my meetings and everything else. But the actual physical work where I have to think and I have to write emails, et cetera, et cetera, normally will happen once, once the heat has cooled down. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, by Friday, they said that this heat wave will go off and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, things will go back to normal. But as of late, things have changed a little bit just to the heat and what's the best piece of advice you've received throughout your career my the best piece of advice that i received for my career at the moment was basically um coming from a couple of people but but saying that you know was to not to be a consultant but trying to be a leader and that i'm still working on to be honest with you um you know Throughout my, throughout my career and everything else, it's very easy to fall into the role of, of being a consultant. Yeah, and the consultant is basically, you know, for me, it's like 
you're able to give advice and everything else, but you're taking the workload on your own. You don't use, you don't utilize the people um, around you and behind you sort of thing. You know, to become a true leader and everything else is that you really trust your people. You really let go of, of things. You really delegate um, things that will help, you know, your cause and everything else. You know, um, able to focus on, and that would, that would then able to, um, allow you to then focus on the on the things that you can really really bring value and not to try to take the whole world on yourself sort of thing and then then therefore delivering a lot more faster a lot more better etc etc so that's the best piece of advice that a person has given me so far um that came from my recent manager um Purim, as well as from um peter jackson my my previous mentor as well those two told me that yeah don't be a consultant. Try to be more of a leader. Who is your favorite thought leader or author right now in the data space? Um, actually, I just mentioned him. So my favorite, of, actually, there's kind of like three at the moment um, there. So there's Caroline Kaffers. Um, she's, she's absolutely great. Um, you know, she's a really, you know, fun person to talk to, really knows her stuff, um, you know, you know, really advocate for, for, for women to get into data. You know, she, she, you know, hundred percent top star, you know, marks everything else. The other one is Peter Jackson. Um, the person that I worked in that, that actually inspired me to become more than what I am because before a couple of years ago, I was happy being a data architect, you know, and just being a data architect, but actually, um, Following Peter Jackson, doing seeing his talks, seeing uh, seeing how he interacts with people, how he interacts with with other businesses, etc., etc., really, really inspired me. Um, and the third person, um, uh, you know, in terms of thought leader, is um, it's my comment boss, Ankurum Assam. You know, he's not he hasn't talked much in the public space, but believe me, I'm trying to encourage him. And really and truly, he you know he he is very very wise for. For what he is, uh, for what he knows, and for the position that he's in, um, you know, I, I, I really, I really appreciate his patience and his mentorship. He really have molded me and evolved me to a, to become more of a leader than, like I said, than a consultant at this present moment. So those are my three people that I would say that have been me um, in terms of um, highly influenced and speakers in in the data space. What are you curious about right now? Curious. Um, so in terms of curiosity, what I'm really curious is, is with this whole um, artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence space, and how that how that will influence our way of determining, you know, um, laws and things going forward. You know, um, it's you know, um, there's this. I forgot what I, I forgot what the thing was, but there's this thing in this artificial intelligence space where the, the, the AI program itself built its own program. And I was like, wow, that's just like, for me, it's like, oh my God, we get in machines building machines sort of thing. We got programs building programs. And like, this is, and this is where we're going forward now. And that's really, really interesting. It's not something that I'm an expert on. I, I put my hand up. I say, yes, I am in the data space. But, you know, artificial intelligence is not my forte, but it's something that's really, really interesting. And it's something that I would, you know, if I could have the time and space, would really, really want to get into and understand and you know, satisfies my curiosity of how, um, how inter how 
how artificial intelligence will inter, you know will work with the world and how that would work with things like Bane, for instance. Because how did how did the artificial intelligence got you know arise to eventually? Was it influenced by a particular programmer? Was it influenced by this and you know so on and so forth? So it's that sort of thing that would we would really, really, I would really want to get into and um, satisfy my curiosity. And what is your favorite quote? Um, my favorite quote. Ooh, that's a that's a that's a good one. I haven't thought of that one. Um, so in terms of my. I I don't really I don't really have a specific quote, but um, if I if I if I choose one, it would be basically if you look after data, it will look after you. And final question: What advice would you give for aspiring leaders in data? Um, for so for me to um, for for people who really want to get into data and want to be you know be leaders within data. My, my best advice is, is that it's not all about learning, you know, all the technologies in the world. There's so much technologies out there that can help you with data, you know, from Hadoop to Python to, um, to data science and all sorts of things. There's so much things there. What it is for people who really want to get into data and be a leader and be a thought leader on this is knowing to how to apply it to a business problem and getting the best value out of it. Yeah. That is the key thing. It's it's not about how much languages you know. It's not about how much um how much algorithms you know. It it's about it's about using that knowledge and applying it to a business scenario. If you're able to do that, you're in the winner. Great advice from Tariq Barty, head of data and analytics at the Nursing and Midwifery Council. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 